Welcome back after a little bit of an extended break. We hope you enjoyed your vacation. Uh, This is Who the Hell is This For? Before we get into today's episode, which is going to be over The Green Knight, which recently came out, uh, you know, could have been more recently, but we we took a little break. Um, Consider this season four. You're welcome. Before we get into the rest of the episode, I do want to remind everybody that if you donate to a worthy cause that supports and lifts up marginalized voices and populations, we will remove review a movie of your choice. Uh, just send us the receipt. Um, that could get put on the back burner for a bit if you guys send us something because we do have some big things planned for October. We are going to be doing Horror Movie Bingo, which I posted about on Twitter and we'll be following up with here pretty shortly and you might even hear something from us in regard to that. Before we get into the rest of the episode, how you guys been? What have you been watching? We've all been in contact, but you know, it, it it's nice to keep up the the facade for the listeners. So we, this weather, we haven't huh? seen each other. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, man, it's been it's been good. Hey, I've been watching. Hats hey, brown. Um, been watching lots of good stuff. Uh, gotta maybe start out with a shout out to one of my favorite comedians who passed away. Oh yeah, this week, Norm Macdonald. Um, in honor of that, I rewatched um, not only just a bunch of his late night clips we were sending to each other. But I also rewatched Dirty Work. Do you guys seen Dirty Work? I have not seen I'm Dirty not. Work. I it's, need I just to. Added, I just added it to the library because I think you guys should watch it. Yes. It's fits perfectly in the vein of the Sandler and Farley movies of the same period. Um, just perfect, like, deadpan Norm MacDonald humor. A little bit more narrative, obviously, because it's, like, in a movie. Um, mm-hmm. But it's really, really good. Some of my favorite bits that I, like, had totally forgotten from that movie. I haven't um, seen that one, but my so my introduction to Norm was Billy Madison, and then same. I got really into his SNL stuff. Obviously, I feel mm-hmm. like that's where kind of the same path a lot of people took, um, but have been meaning to watch a dirty work for years at this point. Yeah, I would definitely recommend it. I don't know if it's streaming anywhere. I couldn't find it. Um, in addition to dirty work, I'm just going to run off my list. I did a bunch of rewatches and also a bunch of first times. So since 10 to Midnight, which is our last episode, I watched the original Italian job, The Man from Uncle, uh, which is one of my favorites. The first Mummy, uh, Demon Slayer Mugen Train again. Uh, yeah. re-anim- wow, Reanimator. Jeff, really getting into that movie. Yeah, I've seen it twice now. <laughs> uh, Reanimator, uh, The Long Goodbye with Elliot Gould. Um 21 Jump Street, Green Knight, First Friday the 13th, Running Scared, Jennifer's Body, The Matrix, Star Wars, Dirty Work. And then I have two that were new to me that I won't spend too much time on, but they were great. I watched Nobody, which is Bob Odenkirk in the John Wick, basically, version. Um, People had talked about it being great. I assumed it was a lot of, like, tongue-in-cheek great, but it's legitimately great. Like, it actually has really good action. There is like a little bit of suspension of disbelief as the movie starts. Um, seems like it was the first 10 minutes are basically like a guy who gets attacked who like doesn't do anything to save his family. Um, and he works at like a dead end job. And the rest of the movie feels like it was written by a guy that actually happened to. And he's like, this is why I didn't fuck him up because I would have done all these things. Um, but it's actually, it's really, really good. So I would definitely recommend it. 
Um, the last thing I watched was High Rise, which was new to me. And I think we talked about that in the text chain. Do you guys remember that one? I barely I remember I don't. it. I'm thinking okay. of the so Rock hi- movie. Yeah. <laughs> so High Rise is... Oh, man, I forget. Oh, hold on one second. I'm going to pull up the info. Um, it's got Hiddleston in it. Um, yes, I do Jer- remember you telling yeah, about this. Jeremy Irons, Luke Evans... Um, it's done by Ben Wheatley. It's essentially like 1970s London, but everybody lives in this like self-sustaining, like high-rise skyscraper, and all the lower-class people are on the low floors, and the high-class people are on high floors. And so it's basically like a surrealist class warfare movie, um, which is not for everybody, but it was right up my alley. It ben was Wheatley fucking, rules. It was fucking great. Really, really good. Um, would recommend it for basically everybody. I think a pound couple for tr- pound, I, I think a lot of the Ben Wheatley stuff, and I say this only having seen a couple, but just what I know of the ones I've seen, what I know of the rest of his work, and what I know about you saying that, is I feel like you you specifically would probably get a lot of mileage out of Ben Wheatley's filmography as a whole. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to make a run through it. I still haven't seen In the Earth um, on Hulu, but I plan to take a look mm-hmm. at that as well. And then I, I mentioned it in that same uh, text chain, but uh, Kill List is phenomenal. Oh, yeah. That's also Wheatley. Um, I You were going through your list. I didn't realize you were supporting local with a Kansas City area with one of your movies. You have to help me out. Uh, first Friday the 13th, where Jason hits the Arts District. <laughs> 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 Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's a good bit, and I won't let anyone tell me otherwise. <laughs> oh man. Um Yeah, so that was my that was my lots of first time watches and, and rewatches for me as well. Awesome. Riley, what about you? Uh yeah, so since ten to midnight, um I have watched Robin Hood Men in Tights, uh, Revenge of the Nerds, and then I too watched Reanimator, Demon Slayer Mugen Train, Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, then after that, uh, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, uh, The Green Knight, and Malignant. Yeah. Oh, buddy. And what we, a movie that was. We are going to have to do a Malignant episode. That might be a prime October episode, actually. Absolutely. We can fit that in with Bingo. I I, I have a whole bunch of other stuff to talk about, but uh, Malignant, like, what high-level thoughts without giving spoilers, Riley? Because I know you and I both really want to talk about this one. Um, I... Just, you got to see it. Um, and I know a lot of people, you're going to start it and be like, ah, eh, this is kind of lame. Uh, just let it breathe for a little. Um, it's I think it's an hour and 50 minutes. Hour 50, yeah. Um, last 40 or 50, uh, buckle the hell up is what I'm going to say. I also think it's going to benefit a lot from a rewatch um, just from my viewing experience because the only thing I had known going into it was that it went off the rails and that 
there was a significant turn at some point, and I called it early in the movie mm-hmm. when I was watching it. And with that, it made every single minute of the movie as it built towards what was coming, it made it so good because I, I, I didn't have confirmation. I didn't know what was coming or if I was right, but they keep feeding you more about what's happening in the movie. Mm-hmm until it finally builds to a payoff and it's beautiful and weird and dumb and gross. And it's something that makes me, it's a great horror. So movie. happy. Yeah. It, it makes me so happy to be a horror fan. Right. It's, I mean, uh, somebody, somebody on Twitter, a uh, film critic, I think it was uh breeze said that it, it's a really refreshing movie because anymore it feels like, Horror movies are either about trauma, uh, both words capitalized, or uh, movies for babies. And finally, like Malignant is very much neither of those. And it's just fun and knows exactly what it is, went in with a goal, achieved that goal. And it's just, it it is the most fun I've had watching a horror movie literally in years. Yeah, I... I- I mean, it's up there. I would, there, there's a lot of comparisons flying around. Um, mostly because, uh, James Wan said he wanted to make his version of a Jalo, which, you know, your mileage may vary on that, but I think more aptly, there's a lot of comparisons I think that could be made to things like reanimator. Um, a couple very specific movies from the eighties and nineties, uh, that I won't directly reference, uh, for very specific reasons. Um, and a lot like the Dark Castle stuff, um, mm-hmm. any of those, yeah. you know, kind of goofy, schlocky horror movies. But it takes that idea of the subgenre of that type of movie and does it. It It's well polished. It's finely crafted. And it's like the best version of any of that that you could ask for. Right. Yeah. And I mean, it's not when, when we say goofy, I wouldn't say goofy in a you're goofy in a bad sense you know what i mean no and definitely not and i'm no because this is this is a good movie yeah and people are like oh it's dumb but it's fun or it's so bad it's good it's it's neither of those things it's a very well-crafted movie that's a hell of a lot of fun and it had a very specific tone it was going for and it nailed it exactly can or at least landed for yeah that's true it won't it definitely won't land for everyone is it this is a really bad comparison? I'm trying to think of something that like a lot of people would have seen. Is it fun in the way that like Stranger Things is fun? Where like there's not like suspension of disbelief, but it's just like so something. We were running. Ty and I were talking what we would pair this with. Um, I can bring up the text, but one of our main ones would be like if you were to do a double feature, uh, drag me to hell was with mm-hmm. the first one we brought up. Like, it's kind of on par with that. Um, From Beyond is right. another one I think that would go really well Basket with Case. Okay, got it. Uh, 13 Ghosts, I think you could get a lot of mileage out of with this. I don't know. There, there's a lot of things you can do here. But it's... I, I love that movie and am very pumped to watch it again. 
Cool, cool. Ty, what else have you been watching? Um, so I have been, let's see, because I think, I don't think I started the Evangelion rebuilds until after we recorded. I think for you, 10 to I think you'd watch the first one. Okay. Um, be, so I did one, two, and three, uh, and they're good, but they're not, they're not what I like out of Evangelion. Um, it, they're, they're much more like classic mech anime oh. than everything that Evangelion is. I think you oh. would like the rebuilds a lot, Riley. Yeah. But it, and it still has some of like the existentialism and things like that, that, um, you know, the original series and end of Evangelion have, but it, I don't know, it kind of misses something that makes it special for me. But I'm taking them as a completely separate project, and they're still very fun to watch. And the original is always going to be around. Uh, and then, you know, of course, Reanimator, uh, Mugen Train, Big Trouble in Little China. We didn't reference that this all happened at Riley's bachelor party. <laughs> we didn't just all, like, watch the same three movies. Um, rewatched Up, which is still sad as hell. Um, happened to sit... You know, I was home visiting family, and uh, the the Amazon Prime Cinderella happened to be on. And, folks, it's... I hear it's very bad. It's something. Yes, but something it deserves credit for is that it really steers into the fact that Pierce Brosnan cannot sing. And it makes that, like, a running bit. And I think that's great, because I love to... <laughs> I love Pierce Brosnan singing badly, just like, there was something in the air tonight. Like, that's why I enjoy watching Mamma Mia. Rus I, like Russell Crowe yeah. in, uh... <laughs> in Les Mis. Les Mis, yeah. I just, I blew out, blew the hell out of my mic doing that. <laughs> <Another summer. laughs> uh, I showed the fam family Midnight Run, uh, which they all love. Nice. Nice. I watched Mission Impossible 2, which is far better than anyone gives it credit for. I had so much fun doing it. I think it is like Malignant in the sense that it knew exactly what it was going for and it nailed it. I have been told uh, by friend of the pod, enemy of the pod, Brendan, uh, debates on tap. Uh, he was enemy of the pod in this moment when he told me that it's bad actually and that nobody knew what they were doing, and it was a tonal mess. And well, I you think, always have to have somebody that's I wrong. Don't know. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> He's a good foil for us. I thought it was Every hero solid. needs a villain. <laughs> uh, Here's, I think the defining moment of that movie is whether or not you think the motorcycle fight is good or bad. And, buddy, it is if, good. If, if you look at it and you're like, that's dumb, you're going to hate the whole movie. If you look at it and you're like, fuck yeah, then the movie's for you. And that's it. That's that's the decision. Yeah, I, I think that's very accurate. I will, given that you brought that up, Brendan is going to call me out for it already when he hears this. Because I did text him and Greg when I was watching it and I said that, you know, disregarding the fact that I looked down and looked back up and suddenly they were on motorcycles and I'm not entirely sure how they got there, but <laughs> <laughs> that aside, it's phenomenal. Um, I re I, well, rewatch a green Knight for this episode, uh, watch cast a deadly spell, which is fine. It's, um, 
It's a noir detective movie with, uh, forgetting his name, but the handsome square-jawed gentleman from Tremors. Uh, not Kevin Bacon, but his buddy. Um, mm. uh, and then rewatched The Matrix for the first time since I was 12 years old. And buddy, it whips. Went right into Matrix Reloaded after that. Uh, and it was... It was good, but it is no original Matrix. But I, I did like it. I gave it the old heart on Letterboxd, which I've started doing instead of leaving ratings. Uh, and then I watched Malignant, which, as we talked about, rips. What would be your rating? On Malignant? Five. Yeah. Five stars. Okay. All right. But I don't do that anymore. <laughs> that was a that lifetime was a life- ago. <laughs> I'm out of the game. We're different people now. (laughs) All right. And then I don't think I've watched anything else. Mm, I have watched uh, Still Keeping Up with uh, Wellington Paranormal. Oh, yeah. Oh, and you watched the the new season of... uh... Right. And we started that as well. Yeah. I got to say... Right now, I might like Wellington Paranormal more. Really? Wow. Uh, well, let me. I like whatever season. I think we're still in season one of Wellington Paranormal. I so I like it so far more than season three of what we do in the shadows. Okay. That's fair. All right. It's definitely Wellington Paranormal is definitely a lot drier um whereas i feel like what we do in the shadows has become a little more overarching story yeah um that makes sense and and wellington feels still very mockumentary Mm -hmm. you're a dry boy so i get it yeah just dry as hell dry as hell I've also one last thing, not something I've been watching, but I have been listening to Ain't Slayed Nobody, a uh, Call of Cthulhu podcast set in the Old West that is ran by some former like Texas A&M SB Nation people. Uh, and they're it's hilarious. It's unbelievably good. They just wrapped their first season, um, I think, like two weeks ago, uh, two to three weeks ago. And it's very, very good. Uh, they have a couple mini arcs in there, and uh, they're bringing their second season back in January. But in the meantime, they've got some more mini arcs planned, and apparently one of them is going to have Spencer Hall and Jason Kirk guest starring on it. Hell yeah. Uh, which, if you are a fan of sports, you're going to be familiar with those names, and that should get you very excited. Um, cannot wait for any of that. They're, it's all very good, so highly recommend listening to Ain't Slayed Nobody. And the first, uh, the main arc is Y'all of Cthulhu. So with that, shall we get talking about the Green Knight? Let's do it. All right, so... Jeff, can you go ahead and give me a run-through on Rotten Tomatoes? Unfortunately, my computer, uh, my keyboard has just decided to not be connected, which is a strange thing to decide to do. 
Interesting. But I was able to pull up one thing for us to refer to in a later segment. Yeah, we can take a look at Rotten Tomatoes. So obviously this one came out this year, 2021. Um, it is an 88% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. However, the audience score is a 50%. Um, so a lot of people were on the fence. I think that reflects you know, the content of the film and the way it's structured and things like that. Um, this is a David Lowry movie. Um, David Lowry hasn't done a ton of stuff. Um, he's directing more, um, but you might know him from um, The Old Man and the Gun um, and A Ghost Story are probably his two most famous movies. He also did Pete's Dragon. Um, and then he also did a movie that's 99% on the tomato meter called Miss Juneteenth. Um, that was not very popular in terms of audience score either. Um, but done a, done a couple of things. Um, interesting guy for sure. Um, Green Knight has Dev Patel, um, uh, Alicia Vikander, Vikander, yeah, Joel Edgerton, yeah. Um, Sean Harris, um, a couple of other folks as well. Definitely interesting cast. Oh, also uh, Barry Keegan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Keegan or uh, Kogan? Kogan. Yeah. Those Irish names always mess me yeah, up. Yeah, it's it's tough with the Irish vowels. <laughs> a lot of vowels all in a row. A lot of GHs. Um, anyways, $17 million at the box office. Um, obviously an A24 p- picture. Um, people talk about A24... Some people talk about it as it's this monolith, and then other people talk about it as they're all very different. I do think it feels like an A24 movie, um, but I also think that it's it's definitely its own thing. It doesn't necessarily For sure. fit. Doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. fit in like a. It's not a horror movie. It's not just an adventure movie. It's not just a fantasy movie. It's kind of all of those things. Um, so definitely, definitely very interesting. Do you have any of a plot synopsis as well? That would be great. Um, Green Knight, an epic fantasy adventure based on the timeless Arthurian legend. The Green Knight tells the story of Sir Garwin, which is crazy that it's pronounced that way to me. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna mispronounce it. So, uh, oh, well, okay. So it's it's Gawain. Yeah, and it is very Gawain. specifically the actor playing, uh, play uh, who Green also King author. The guy who I can never remember, whose name I just am not aware of. Yes. Yeah, when we talked about him in our Mission Impossible episode. Um, Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, just really lays on the accent with Garwin. But it's Gawain. Sir Sir Garwin, Sir Gawain, Sir Gawain, whatever you want to do. Uh, King Arthur's reckless and headstrong nephew embarks on a daring quest to confront the Green Knight, a gigantic emerald-skinned stranger and tester of men. Uh, Gawain contends with ghosts, giants, thieves, and schemers in what becomes a deeper journey to define his character and prove his worth in the eyes of his family and kingdom by facing the ultimate challenger. I think that's pretty accurate. Uh, Before we get into breaking it down, I think that's a really good jumping off point. As we've been talking about historical context of things uh, in some of our more recent movies, or cultural context, but in this one it really is historical context. Um, I So, obviously, I'm a nerdy kid, uh, and in middle school got very into the Arthurian legends and had a book of them. I think I still have it upstairs on my shelf. But uh, um, Gawain and the Green Knight was my favorite in there, in that collection. 
and it's been years since I've read it, so this is not me going off the top. I've looked up, you know, some things that happen in there and um, meanings around it. So this is not my thoughts. This is me reading things about it and then also kind of interpreting and discussing them. Um, but the the main point, the main differences between the movie and the poem, all of the stuff from when Gawain leaves to when he gets to um, the the Lord's Manor, uh, like the with Alicia Vikander in the second role and the um, Joel Edgerton character, uh, everything in between there is added, um, and it's taken from other legends of the times. the The stuff with the fox, the giant, the ghost, uh, with uh, Barry Kogan, all of that is taken from there's historical context around that but it's not directly pulled from arthurian legend or uh the green knight but there is a lot of that there but the the main things to take away from the poem i think when you're talking about the movie are the significance of the girdle um and the so the green belt in the movie um because that is a major focal point and he gets it in the same way um, he stays with them for several days in the in the poem, and uh, he's repeatedly rebuffing uh, the lady's attempts to sleep with him, and then eventually says, "All you know, I'm not going to give in, but I will take this." And you know that it's kind of a symbol of his struggle, and um, it does serve the same purpose that it is supposed to protect him. And then the ending is a big difference, um, yeah, because. You do, in the ending of the poem, Gawain does get cut on the neck, but it's, you know, it's an outward injury to reflect his internal injury of cowardice and him trying to, you know, escape his fate. And then he is then sent back in shame with the belt uh, or with the girdle um, and gets absolved of, you know, his shame and his dishonor. And then it's, you know, that's the quote unquote moral of the story, because a lot of those legends did operate on a bigger moral. And that's that's where the big difference is here. I believe in the didn't they from what I read um, in the poem, uh, Joel Edgerton's character, the Lord, ended up being the Green Knight in the poem, correct? Uh, I don't remember if it was explicit or not, um, but it it's heavily implied that they are the same. Okay. And that they are connected. Um, oh no, he does. Okay. I read this. Yes, it is. Um, it is the Lord. Right. And that is why now I remember if you guys remember when we were talking about this movie way back when, when we were talking about stuff we were excited for, I thought Edgerton was playing the green Knight. So now that tracks, right? But it's actually, What's his name from the witch? Yes. Yeah. The the old dude with the very thick accent. The dad with the very thick accent. Um. Some other. There's there's other lore to get into. Like uh, Gawain's mom is uh, Morgan Le Fay, who is King Arthur's stepsister and a pretty like pretty consistent nemesis of Merlin and Arthur. Mm-hmm. Um, and is an antagonist in a lot of that legend. Um, 
And, you know, obviously they, they run with that here as well, but that's just, that's some deeper cultural context in regard to where that character is pulled from. So very, I, as somebody who really loves just the Arthurian legends in general and uh, the Green Knight specifically, I thought this was a great adaptation and I love Lowry's choice to do what he did and bring in other things from uh, legends around the same uh, historical period. Absolutely. Um, I think for me... Do we want, for I'm going to pause you right now and just say that this is where we're shifting gears into what we like about the yeah, movie. Yeah, um, yeah. Just, Let's go. just one quick thing. I... I did not know anything. I, I did no research prior to this and had no knowledge of what it was based on. Um, mm -hmm. I, well, I knew it was based on, you know, a poem from way, 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 way long ago. But you weren't aware of the content right. of so, the poem. Like, I had no idea that that was King Arthur until I looked it up. Um, <clears throat> yeah, or like, either. Or like that you know, the significance of the sword being Excalibur. Yes. And I was like, oh, that would have been, I would have enjoyed that so much more. And I probably would on rewatch knowing the significance of that. And, and being, you know, really liking that, that moment was so huge for me yeah. in the, uh, in the movie, because I wasn't like, as the movie got rolling, I was fairly certain that this was Arthur. He was talking to, um, and, you know, wasn't wasn't entirely sure because you know they don't call him Arthur. No, at that point, um, they don't make a big deal out of it, which I also like. I like they just drop you into that, and that King Arthur is not the main focus here. But when they when they had the scene where Gawain takes the sword and it kind of focuses on him with it, I was like, okay, that is all I need to know to confirm that this is Arthur. That's Excalibur. That was a very cool moment. Definitely. Um, but okay, so more on things that we just liked about it. Um, this movie's just visually stunning. Absolutely, um, all all of your just huge landscape shots. Um, it's all it it almost gives like a very Skyrim feel, um, specifically when he leaves the castle. Um, mm -hmm. When he hits that crossroads, right? Yeah, or he just the just the um, wide shot of him coming, you know, just on the horse, just walking down the path um, with the mm -hmm. whole uh, with Camelot behind him. Yeah, the kid, the kids right. running yeah. along behind him. Just so many great scenes in this movie, um, in terms of you know cinematography and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. I think I think cinematography, regardless of how people feel about this movie, because I do I do know it is divisive. Um, but story wise, yeah, I, you, I mean, yeah, story and just structure wise. But I don't think anybody could argue that this is just an incredibly beautiful movie. Absolutely. Well, and you know, along with the visuals is the score. Um, just some incredible score was music. Incredible. Um, throughout this movie um jeff what, what were some things that stood out for you yeah i mean i think 
you know, you guys hit on on some major points. Uh, obviously, if you've listened to our podcast before, you know that we're big fans of world building, and I do like that so much of the first part of this movie is building, you know, this kingdom and the people in it, and you like find um, uh, Sir Sir Gawain like in the brothel, like when they first start, but like it's not. It's like the brothel is still like almost fun. Like it's not like super seedy and like gross if that makes no, sense like it's, it's treated as like you know the the young guy like he's just he's fooling around and he's out having like a night on the town yeah like, yeah it's and, treated like that he's not treated like a degenerate for it yeah and so i like i mean even just that choice of the vibe of how they portrayed that and like built gowan's character as like a young carefree yeah he has some responsibilities but not really and then you also find out that he like he lives in the castle. He's technically like the nephew of the king. And then that brings in this aspect of like he could be great, but he's not great yet. You know what I mean? But he has a lot uh, he has a lot to live up to. You know what I mean? Kind of young prince in the kingdom kind of thing. I think the um that's that's so important when really like it is it's a short bit of this movie. But that setting the stage is so important because, you know, the main thrust of this movie is that Gawain is, like, a spectacular fail son. Like, just very bad at everything he tries to do um, and just, like, royally screws up a lot of what he's attempting to do. Right. And, you know, he keeps talking about honor and his search for honor, but he doesn't have any. He hasn't done anything to earn any, and he keeps messing up his opportunities to do so. Yeah, I think, I mean, such a poignant moment moment in the movie is when he's talking to King Arthur and, and King Arthur's like, you know, come and sit by me. I don't know you as well as I would like to. You know what I mean? You're my sister's son. Tell me a story about you so I can get to know you more. And he's basically like, I don't have any stories. Like, I haven't done anything. And that's the first time that you see him reckon with who he is and how others' perception of him is. And that's so important for building that next scene where the Green Knight comes in and makes his challenge. Because, like, even if that happened a little bit earlier in the movie, the fact that it happened, like, right then, he's like, oh, I have to do something about this now. Like, I will Mm -hmm. be the one. And it also plays into his decision with how he attacks the Green Knight, which I think we should build on a little bit. Yes, 100%. Um, So, obviously, if you're this far in the episode, you've seen the movie the scene that I'm talking about is is obviously in the castle when the Green Knight comes in and makes his challenge, and Gawain decides he's going to accept it. And basically, Gawain thinks that it's going to be this big moment, and whether he succeeds or fails, he's going to have stories, right? right? Songs about him, etc. He will have honor just and from so fighting him. Right. Right, mm-hmm. right. And so he's like, you know what? Fuck it. Like, I'm going to take this chance. And then it's kind of, it's almost taken from him a little bit because the Green Knight basically kneels and he's like, you can strike me however you want. And at first he thinks it's a trick. And then he realizes, oh, there's no real honor in this because he's not even going to fight back. So mm-hmm. because of that, he gets like a little more ambitious and he's like, you know what? Fuck it. Like, if I'm going to do that, I'm going to strike him in the most dangerous way I can. I'm going to cut off his head. And he thinks it'll be over. He's not even worrying about one year hence I get to strike the same blow. He's like, fuck it, I'll just kill mm-hmm. him and it'll be done. They'll write a song about that. And then, you know what I mean? Like, all of that, like, building mm-hmm. together in that, I don't know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. It's, it's not very long. 
It's not, no. It's that, 15 at most. That decision happens, and you're like, you know, a more experienced knight, one, may not have taken the challenge, and two, wouldn't have tried to cut right. his head off. And that's well, his and downfall. I, I think that's really well exemplified when Arthur Arthur tries to, like, get him to keep a cool head about it. He's like, hey, this is a game. Like, yeah. He he tries to get that point across, and it just falls completely on deaf ears with Gawain. Right. And if he would have, you know, cut off his hand or even just, like, struck him across the chest, or, you know what I mean? Not even, like, a killing blow. Or even blow. if you just, like, nick him. Right. You give him a little nick, you get it back, everybody laughs. And, like, that's, you know, the, the, all of this is the baggage that comes along with that fight. Right. Right, and I just thought that was so well done. You could, you could. There are things you can complain about in this movie, but the structure of how they did that, and how I think they brought a full circle in the end, I think are very narratively well done. If you don't like the journey in the middle, or you don't like whatever the fuck happens in the <laughs> castle before the last thing, like mm-hmm. those two bookends, I think work really well. It's funny because I was watching this movie with my wife. And she fell asleep basically from when the challenge happens to when the final <laughs> scene happens. And she's like, I feel like I saw the whole movie. Like, what happened in the middle? And I was like, I mean, I could tell you, but it won't actually make any difference. <laughs> I mean, you really did if we're going from the adaptation standpoint. You saw the, the entirety of the poem in right. there. Which is too bad because some of the, the best, most beautiful pieces, non-narrative withstanding, are some of the pieces in the middle, right. too. So. I loved it. I I love the stuff in the middle, because as I described on I think on the ten to midnight episode when I was trying to talk about it without spoilers, because this is a hard movie to describe. For I think, sure. um, due to the way it's structured, but it's it's basically just like side quests that are distracting our main character from the destination. Like you're playing a video game, like you're playing The Witcher, and you've you know you've done several hours of side quests and you forgot you know to go find Yennefer. Like that's, that's exactly how this unfolds, but you get, there's, it's so rich because of all those things. Right. Absolutely. Ty, what were your, some of your favorite pieces about this movie? Um, one thing we talked about the music, but I also really like the sound design, uh, in general, particularly, obviously on the green knight himself. Um, it's so good. Yeah. It's just the Green Knight is an ASMR video. Like it's <laughs> unbelievable. He's just like crackling and creaking and groaning. It's so it's it's such cool sound design. Uh, we we talked about the visuals. I also want to specifically talk about the lighting um, because the the way that the way that things are lit to get color here is really really interesting. Like when you know Arthur consults his seer who is determining if the knight is a threat. And that red spotlight comes right down on top of him. And then he's like, okay, no, he's fine. Like, that's really cool. When Gawain is swimming to get the skull uh, for the ghost, um, I believe Lady Winifred, um, he when he's going down for the skull, like that red, that stark uh-huh. red light that hits him, there's a lot of really cool stuff with lighting in here. Uh, after he takes the mushrooms... Um, and you've got the lightning. He sees the green knight out in the distance. Uh, very, very cool. And then, obviously, when we get to that final, that climax, um, 
or anticlimax really uh they just everything is bathed in yellow so it's it's like close enough to green and it feels very nature and you know like like you feel like you are out in nature everything just awash in yellow but it's like there's something just a little bit off there like you know he's looking for the green chapel but it's not green nothing out here is green but it is a washing color and still feels very connected to the earth and natural world things like that yeah absolutely i I like what you said there about like the the green chapel is not green and i think there are a lot of things that they tell like in his story that again highlight how like green in the sense of new he is to the world and how Mm. much things don't match up to his expectations right like again the fight with the green knight doesn't match his expectations because it wasn't a fight and then he gets out in the world and one of the first things he does is he loses his protection to bandits and then you know and then he loses his sword and you know what i mean like has all these things that should have gone well and that he had the chance to meet the occasion and he keeps failing and struggling because he just has no experience and doesn't know what he's doing well, it, it's that, and it's also paired with it's it in the ghost scene, and when he is talking to the Lord, are two really, really great examples of this, um, because he, you know, he asks the ghost, he's like, you know, what will you give me for this, or what is my reward? And she's like, why right. would you ask me that? And um, and then the interaction where you know he's like. What is, what is best in this world or uh, whatever the Joel Edgerton, his question is. And he's like, uh, honor? And he's like, are you asking me a question? He says, oh, honor, honor, yeah. Like, he doesn't know what he wants. Yeah. He just knows he's supposed to want honor, and he's just trying to figure out what he can get out of all of these situations. Like, Gawain is not, you know, he's not this intrinsically motivated guy. He's like, what can... How can other people view me better? Right. Because I don't know what I want out of here. All I know is that people probably should like me. Right. Like, right. Yeah. I think it's a, it's such an interesting character choice. Because um, there mm-hmm. aren't there aren't that many... I mean, I don't know. There are. But it's a unique kind of character where they are the focus of the story, but they're not exactly a hero. And you watch their journey and you're like, okay, are they going to make the quote-unquote right decision? And then I think the movie does a really good job in the end of trying to, like, ask you as the viewer, like, what is the right decision? Is it good to yeah, have honor? The, you know, is it good to have, we quote, need to unquote, talk honor? About that yeah. Um, but before, like, before we get into that, you, you had a really good point of where, you know, Gawain, he's not necessarily a hero. He's also not necessarily a villain. He's just a person. Yeah. And that's what's so great about This is just, you know, a two-hour character study about a guy who by all accounts is very just average and a normal guy. Yeah. Just guys being dudes, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, This is when dudes fall short of rocking. Like that's what this movie is. Dudes not quite rocking, but we, we should talk about the ending um, in this segment because I think it's something this movie does really, really effectively um, the family in front of me at the theater did not think so. Um, they were complaining about it the entire way out. Do you want to... So we're going to skip the the castle scene before the end, right? And we're just going to go... Oh, no. Let's, let's, talk, let's talk castle scene okay. because we need that context okay. before we go into the end. Okay. 
So just to, again, bring people to speed, he's gone out on his journey. He has to seek out the Green Knight. He's been robbed by bandits. He's done the ghost thing in the water. the world. (laughs) Blasting ropes. (laughs) And then he's at the... um, He's at the castle where he meets, um, in, in, I'm trying to figure out if, in IMDb, if they say the character's name. Wikipedia says Bertolek is the king's name. The lord. Of the castle that he gets to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The lord. Uh-huh. We'll just call him the lord. Okay. I am lord. So, the lord, 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 um, <laughs> so you have the lord played by Joel Edgerton, um, you have the lady played by Alicia Vikander, um, and I want to talk about specifically, even outside of the narrative structure, the idea of having the lady and Essel be played by the same person. Yeah. And kind of what you guys is like, what your thoughts there and, and what they're trying to say. I did not notice that until after the movie. So, <laughs> <laughs> the, I think a big part of it is, um, it, it just goes back to, like, you could almost view it. There's a lot of ways to view it. I don't think anything we're going to say is going to be seen as the definitively correct answer. But I think you can you can look at it and uh, either look at it in the sense of Gawain sees her, and maybe she doesn't even look that much like Essel. But in Gawain's mind, oh, wow, she looks just like Essel. And probably, you know might think there's a gray area if he kind of acts on some of the way he's feeling towards her because her similarity with Essel. Um, but, I mean, there it could go in any direction. Yeah, the direction that I took it, and again, I don't know if it's the correct one, is that, you know, the lady represents an opportunity that is tempting that he knows he shouldn't do. And the idea that it looks exactly like his love from home makes it more tempting because it feels familiar you know what i mean he could easily like slide back into what that relationship feels like but it would be wrong in this context because he's in the lord's house basically and something that that i think they did really well here that carries over from the poem another another interpretation of this is you know gawain may not want to do it do anything with her at all you know maybe he doesn't want to move on this uh but he you know he's going to get as close as he has to to get the sash and because that's what matters to him is saving his hide and not being murdered by the green knight he doesn't care about any other context of this and maybe he's not even that into um the lady but he is you know all he wants is to get this sash and protect himself. So I had a question about the sash. Obviously, I understand what the sash represents, the through you know thread of what's going on. We're not supposed to assume it's the same sash. No, it's a I, new sash. I did not take it. Okay. I did not take it as the same. It's not like the robber sold it to the lady and then it's coming I, full circle. It's a different. I, I would believe. I think from what I read, that it is supposed to be the same one. Oh, interesting. Because she says that she puts a protection on it, and I didn't know if that was she put a protection on it. There's also that blind woman that we haven't talked about at all that's supposed to represent his yeah. mother. Oh, the cuck. And 
Yeah. <laughs> she likes yeah. to watch, but she can't. She's always she's cursed forever to feel that way. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like she doth wear the horned cap. <laughs> I mean, you know, the lady. Because I think there's a scene where the lady is doing basically the same blessing on the sash that the mom did. And so that's where I wasn't sure if it was supposed to be the same one or if it's like representative but not physically the same one kind of thing. And, and that is the same thing. That's the same thing I took away from it uh, is what you did, Jeff. Um, actually, I haven't thought about it until now, but it could be the same situation as um, how I was see you know, how I described him seeing the lady looking exactly like Essel could be the same thing. In his mind, oh, man, this is the exact same thing that I just lost. Perfect. I've got it. I'm going to be safe. And right. it's him trying to grasp onto anything he can that makes sense to him. You know, you could. Riley, what do you think? I This might be a stretch, but you could go as far to say as he sees the lady uh, as a representation of all the women in his life. Uh, Very much so. Or just uh, like a women, a woman's role in his life. Um, this woman mm-hmm. is here as, you know, a sex symbol. She is here to provide me with safety and comfort, uh, temptation. And it's manifested all into this one you know, into this one person. person. Yeah. I think that's an interesting take for sure. Um, I, I think that's a very fun take on this. I think regardless of, of representation or who they are, right? Like this is clearly a test, you know, and we can kind of get maybe back into like the Lord and whether the Lord is also the green Knight in the Wikipedia entry for green Knight When they're talking about this, they mention that, the Green Knight and the Lord are supposed to be the same person. Which, mm-hmm. in the movie, I think is a little bit up to interpretation because there's the scene where he's sitting on the throne, the Green Knight is sitting on the throne, and you see the face and it like flashes with several people's faces. So it's not just the Lord, it's like also a representation of all the people in his life who mm-hmm. he has to impress or that he has to pass the test for. And so I think that both fits with and complicates the relationship of who the Lord is to the lady and does the Lord set up the test as like another representation of a thing that he has to pass before he can see the green knight kind of thing. I don't know. It's very, there's a lot of, (laughs) a lot of things it could be a lot of avenues to think about this for sure. Absolutely. And you know, bringing up tests, that's, I want to, I want to talk now about the ending and the final test and it is it's the green knight's choice not even he doesn't give him a choice he you know just like it is gawain's choice and in the moment he's like he thinks about trying to go forward with this with the sash on um and then he he has the um the daydream sequence where he bolts out of there saving himself and then, you know, never removes the sash. He sees what his life could be if he takes a cowardly choice to save his own life um, and is ultimately left unsatisfied with the way his life could turn out if he does take the dishonorable route. Um, and, you know, the entire life in general wouldn't be worth it. And then eventually does make the choice to pull the pull the sash off, accept his fate, and then the... Uh, 
the knight tells him does the knight say congratulations i forget something, i mean something along those lines um some something affirming towards gawain and then um and then says well off with your head and then it cuts to credits and you know it's left ambiguous is he telling him all right run off take your head with you you're good to go thanks for coming or is it off you with your head i'm going to cut it off and i did not even take it ambiguous at all the first time and i thought oh yeah for sure he you know after this credits roll and gawain gets his head cut off and then i had heard that and the second time watching it i feel like it's very now very clearly so of course ambiguous since i thought it was clear both directions both times i watched but uh he i feel like it's very clear that he does just send him off um, as his reward for doing the finally doing the honorable thing and just accepting his fate and taking it with faith. Riley, how did you interpret the end? Oh man, I don't. I think it comes down to your knowledge of the story beforehand. Um, I think if you are going into this blind, um, I think it's very easy to assume that his head gets cut off. I know I did. Um, I think that I what and what brought me to that was kind of the, you know, he realized that, you know, dying with the honor that he found is better than living, you know, his the rest of his days with shame. Um, but mm-hmm. upon you know discussing it tonight and reading it, um, I think you could definitely make a case that. Uh, the nick comes back into play or, you know, the cut on his neck and then lets him go. Mm-hmm. Um, because it does, like, the more the more you think about it, the more the Green Knight does see this as a game and not, and not out to, mm-hmm. you know, get revenge or whatever. Um, yeah, he's not trying to murder Gawain. He's just, you know, time to hold up your end of the bargain. It almost, like, there's almost like a... Yeah, I don't know. Um, I really think it could go either way. Um, tonight, I'm going to say that he does not cut off his head and goes for the, the cut on the throat. I also do want to say, um, I noticed this time, watching through, the Green Knight does point. And he, like, he slowly extends a finger pointing towards the door when he says, well, off with your head. Did he not start a swing? I thought he did start a swing. Right before it cuts. He, he's, he started a swing. But you think he points first, goes like off with your head, and then swings? Yeah, I thought he was pointing Well, so he starts a swing before Gawain calls, like, before Gawain's like, wait, 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 wait. But... At the, but I thought before, yeah, I'm with Riley. Before I thought, we hit the the in title screen, um, I thought he at least comes yeah, like I, comes back like he's gonna. Yeah, start he his starts swing. his backswing and then it cuts. We might have to revisit I, see, it. And it's it's been yeah. I know it's been a minute since we like full disclosure. It's we watched this well before we recorded. Probably a week and a half um, ago, just you due think? to scheduling things. Yeah. I well, I watched it um, but, two days ago. Oh, okay. Oh, because we moved. Then I'll, I'll trust your judgment. I, I just I remember watching it and uh, really being struck by him 
disappointing. So, so well, here's okay. so with you saying that, because obviously I didn't catch that. Which, so I I am starting to lean more towards that he did not come up his head. So he he's I think it's very much a you see what so you want to see like, out of this yeah, ending. He's he's obviously leaning the Green Knight as a character. I think is leaning more towards like you know a le- like a like uh, he's there to teach a lesson. Um, mm-hmm. So it could very much be that he point like like you said he points off with your head, starts his swing, and then you know maybe he buries that you know he just throws the axe in the ground next to him. Mm-hmm. Um, so he also could have been pointing, if I remember, he could have been pointing right at Gawain's neck too. So it's tough to tell there as well. So I agree that the there's, there's the three endings that it could be, right? He could run away as a coward. He could accept his fate and get his head cut off, or he could accept his fate and the Green Knight lets him off. The reason that I don't think it's the third one is because especially, and it's open to interpretation, right? But my interpretation is that his head gets cut off. And the reason why is because like fables and dark fairy tales like of this time are full of lessons. And those lessons all seem to be like fairly like you have choices and they're not all good choices, but you have to live with whatever your choice is, no matter what. And so to Mm -hmm. me, it feels like out of character that he would just get out of the bargain. Yeah. Even if he accepts his fate, like it doesn't seem like it would fit with the way the green Knight operates. He's like, you could have hit me anywhere. You chose to hit me on the neck. So because you chose to hit me on the neck, you have to die and you can either live your life with, out honor as a coward and people will know you didn't go or that you didn't accept your fate or you can accept your fate and die and the reason that i like personally that dichotomy and i don't like whatever the happy ending could be is because i think Mm. it it portrays such an interesting choice for the viewer of like what do you value as a viewer do Mm -hmm. you value you know not you don't have to have honor to have a good life like you could just go spend your days with your family and friends and you don't have to be a hero to have a good life or you can be a hero but you sacrifice a lot to be a hero you basically sacrifice any of the benefit of being a hero aside from that one year that (laughs) he was a hero in the kingdom basically Mm -hmm. and I, i i feel like the second one because he was a hero in the kingdom for a year it's it's his payment for that like for that fame is that he has to die, basically. Yeah. Uh, what's great, though... Go ahead. Um, sorry, I want to say it because it kind of plays off of what Jeff was saying. You know, it even gets down to the point of how do you view the bargain itself? Is the deal that he has to get his head cut off, or did he fulfill his bargain by holding up his end of the deal and coming to the Green Chapel a year and a day hence from the initial game but he so, says i can know, strike a blow yeah, i think it I is strike the same does. blow he does yeah right but i mean then you get into the kind of the there you know there's a letter of the law and spirit of the law sure. and it kind of gets into that and it's, you know does does he mean it directly like word for like, word right. blow for blow or is it did he fulfill his terms by do, coming yeah, do to you the, have chapel the balls to come and holding and up honor your fate 
Because, you know, right. he never had to even go. If he wanted to live dishonorably and live without honor and keep his life, he never actually has to go. So, yeah. one question I have. So, in the poem, he goes back and people, he's shamed by the other people, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, that's a different, that's a choice they made in this movie was that Gawain had this inner shame because obviously mm-hmm. he has come back he comes back and is made king um i got the sense more of that he was like his inner struggle does does the flashback in the movie essentially match the end of the poem See, that's what I'm saying. Um, I think in the poem, yeah. when he goes back, he's yes. much more... Sh- he's publicly shamed. Mm-hmm. And in the movie, well, he goes so, back... Kind of... And it's more internal. Reading the breakdown. Right. It's like what so, would have happened if he went back. Right. You know what I mean? He's just like, you know what? Fuck that. I don't want that life. I would rather die. <laughs> With honor. Yeah. And so, you know, they... the A really important part is he leaves, like... Basically, he leaves his friends with the Green Knight. And, like, Gawain is personally shamed. uh, But the Green Knight's like, dude, I don't blame you. Like, that's fine. Um, And, you know, sends him on his way. And it's just, eh, you didn't hold up your end of the deal. Um, But then the sash is a token of his failure to keep his promise. He is shamed. But then the Knights of the Round Table absolve him Mm. and use that um, that each night and going forward... Um, each night wears a green sash in recognition of Gawain's adventure and as a reminder to be honest. So in, oh, interesting. Shamed yeah. in that okay. So because he came back and said, I went, but I didn't let him cut my head off. And mm-hmm. they're like, you know what? Because you told us you're okay. <laughs> yeah, essentially. You know what? He's a good guy. We need He's a, a reminder to not be like this guy. <laughs> where, Let's make him king, Wear a green sash. Wear a green sash to remind us not to be fucking liars. <laughs> fucking Some of Garwin us in this room. <laughs> I love the idea. Everyone of- wearing the green sash and it's just the Tim Robinson hot dog car bit. <laughs> Gawain saying we're all trying to find the guy who did this. I know these names. But- <laughs> I know my own family. Oh, yeah, so it's um, it, that's that's what I think. Like writ large, this movie does right is that it allows for this discussion and allows it to be ambiguous. And this is a fun thing with movies. And a lot of times, you can also get, uh, you know, people, including us, like talking out their ass about these things and kind of looking for whatever they take from it. But that's no, what's we fun. are act- we're very that's, smart that's film the great guys. Thing. No, these are actually are very smart correct right opinions We're, that we expect everyone <laughs> to hold. I just had to get the disclaimer so that people are on board with the ideas and then they see us as right. Right. I do think, you know, we, we've talked about it before, but I mean, I think this this is my favorite kind of movie in that it just sticks with you because you do have to keep thinking about it. And that's not everybody else's... Like, not everybody likes that, right? And I will say, one of the movies that... The very first movie that we did for this podcast was Mother. 
And that was a movie that the first time I saw it, I was like, this movie sucks. Like, I just don't like it. <laughs> I don't get it. It's stupid. And then, like, now it's probably up there as, as a movie I really, really like. And I'm not saying that about this movie. I liked this movie a lot more when I first watched it. But it's got yes. that same that same open to interpretation. It could be a lot of things. But for some people, it's not a good first-time watch because it's just not... It doesn't fit that same mold of what they're sure, expecting. Sure, I mean, yeah, it's it's definitely in that category. Um, you know, a movies and I, there, you have to be in kind of the right headspace for it. But a movie where totally, you know, a movie where you finish it and you're like, "What the hell did I just watch?" But I'm also so intrigued, like I gotta go research what I just watched because I feel that it's good and I want to discuss it and what things could mean and i want to i want more i want to learn more about this movie totally absolutely well said so we've we've been talking about this for a while now do you guys have anything you really didn't like about this movie i I don't know we've just kind of like just discussed it i don't yeah i i mean we can kind of break format for this episode I don't. This is just a, a specific thing. I don't know that I like loved the come scene on. The I, I don't know if exactly. we needed to see it. I, I, the, the, yeah, but I mean, it also you know it is the metaphor. It plays into this idea of it could be representing more than just you know the lady. It could also be his mom, and that's why he's grossed out. So I, mean, I think I I get its place, I, but I was also just like. Huh. Okay. I also kind of got. <laughs> I also kind of had the thought that he. Uh, this is. I don't know if this is accurate or not, but uh, he came on the sash instead of on slash in her because he was more. Er, not into the, the sash, sash is more desirable. That, that's what. That's what yeah, he wanted. Yeah. That's what he wanted or desired, like you yeah. said. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I think that's where I took a lot of my reading of it from as well. Yeah. So maybe but I don't works, know if we I don't know if we needed the the white knuckles. Is the movie it's, is the movie any it's certainly different gonna affect it? Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> it's gonna affect who you can show this yeah. to. Yeah. Right. Which and it's fine, not everybody not every movie has to be accessible and you know that's totally fine. But also it like, you know, you, you have to keep it in mind when you're recommending this movie to someone, well, which is never a fun situation. Yeah, and, and again, I know there's so many differing thoughts on that, right? But I mean, a movie this good, even if it is this weird, it's really the only, I think, it's really the only objectionable, potentially objectionable thing that somebody could be like, I can't believe you fucking recommended that movie. Like, if that scene's not in it, they might say that, but you'd be like, yeah, it's a little weird, but like, you know, you don't have to be like, hey, mom, maybe don't watch the cum scene in The Green Knight. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no, I don't have... Other than that, I didn't really have anything else I would change. And I... So I know people... There are, People have issues with the pacing and the way the movie is structured. I am very much not one of those people, but I'm acknowledging that some people might see that as an issue. I think it's crafted near perfect. Yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah. like you said, like it, it's it's a it's an event, it's a quest. I mean, 
it's going to take a long time. So, yeah. Um, and on and it, it feels so satisfying when right, it gets exactly there. like you feel like he's been through the ringer to get to this place. I think if I think mm-hmm. if you cut 20 minute 20 30 minutes off it it doesn't feel as gratifying um or no absolutely not. i guess or or disappointing depending on like he gets there he makes this journey and then decides to run away and you're like why i like you you know you're just kind of in disbelief like i can't believe he'd do that or you're like yeah kudos to him for making it blah 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 I mean, Riley, I think you said it best by saying this is a quest. Like, quests aren't short, that you have to go through things that aren't important to the quest. Like you said, Tyler, with the be- feeling almost like a, an RPG video game where there just are side quests that don't really end up impacting the story, right? Like, him seeing the facts, it's, it's interesting, it's cool, it's a very, like, compelling part, but it doesn't ultimately really change the way that the story plays like it doesn't Mm -hmm. the giants don't really change anything even even really like the ghost in the water kind of thing like it's cool it portrays a piece of who he is but it doesn't end up like changing the plot at the end um so like you could cut that stuff but it's that's not what the movie is about like this movie is about existing in this fantasy world exactly um so i don't think you i don't think they should have cut anything yeah agreed um, so let's go ahead and then move into when this is going to be hard to try and do this as well, but our, uh, our taint misbehaving Gleason oh, award. I it. It's I, for me, it's Joel Edgerton. Joel Edgerton seemed like he had yeah. so much fun in this role playing like this super enthusiastic, uh, Lord, uh, he just he just you know he uh, he gave it so much gusto in his line readings. I loved it. Joel Edgerton taking this role solely to kiss Dev Patel. <laughs> <laughs> he, he heard about the position. And he said, "I would like to kiss." Yes, please. <laughs> I, I think yeah, I would have to agree. I mean, someone as talented as Joel Edgerton and someone who did give it so much um, would have liked to see him do more. Again, I don't really know what they would have had him do more of. I, I don't know how many more monologues they could give him. I but. wouldn't have mind seeing, like, actually making him the Green Knight. I think that would have been great. Not necessarily, like, you know, recognizable, like maybe alter his voice, but just knowing mm. that Joel Edgerton was the guy in the suit, I think would have added a kind of a cool layer to it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, we didn't talk about something else. This movie does great. It's just you know costuming, practical, everything like that. Just phenomenal stuff. Also, apparently, it must have been from a cut scene, but there was a behind-the-scenes clip floating or picture floating around of Deb Patel holding just like a giant heart. That he had cut out of something. Oh, I'd like to see uh, that. Like Fangoria had posted it. Yeah, whatever that is, I want to see what's going on there. Um, but I'm also going to say I would like to see more of the Giants, too, just because yeah. I I understand why they did not do more with the Giants, but I wish they had. 
because it is supposed to be, you know, it adds a sense of wonder and magic to the world and the fantasy <coughs> is now introduced really heavily, like even beyond any of the other things we've gotten. And now we've got a lot of fantasy elements brought into this world, but we don't we don't get the why behind them. And I think that's what makes the world feel big and feel magical. But I did I want more. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> that's the thing. It's just so cool. It's just such a cool writing choice for me. Especially with the when the fox howls at them and they harmonize mm-hmm. with it. That's so fucking cool. What a great scene, man. I feel like it not that this movie hasn't like I'm kinda actually surprised this movie hasn't entered into like meme land. You know what I mean? It's really weird that it didn't. I don't know if it's just the time or like people didn't see it in theaters or like when it comes out on video, like we'll see it more, but like I expected to see more and I expected to see like the giants more, to be totally honest, and mm-hmm. didn't really see them at all. Alright. Uh, let's do a quick... I only have about 10% left on my phone. Okay. So we can do a quick uh, quick standout scene, quick letdown, and then do our ratings. Because I also don't have a good draft yeah, I for don't us know what we would do. I think we're okay without it. Um, Perfect. Standout. I'm actually going with one that's not related to our main quest. I'm going the, the, the ghost lady. Uh... I thought that scene was awesome. It was creepy. Um, I yeah, I just thought it was. It kind of took me by surprise. I think is why I liked it. Um, I wasn't expecting that. You know, almost horror element of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and just kind of a nice like. Uh, it was like a good save point in the story. Like yeah, like let's let's let off the gas, let's enjoy the movie, let's let it breathe, and then we'll get back on it. Absolutely, I I love that pick, Jeff. What about you? I think mine's the Giants. I just think it was the most cool visual visual thing that happened, and I could have stayed in in that world for hours. Um. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there as well. It's hard for me to pick which one I want to go with because I could go with either of those scenes. Um, I could also go with uh, where he's riding across the battlefield, um, and he has you know he has the altercation with uh, Barry Keoghan and his kind of band there. But I'm I think I'm actually going to go with the uh, the game itself when the green knight shows up and we see morgan lefay's ritual and everything that happens there because just the way it's all introduced and unfolds and uh, you have the ritual happening in the background you have you've already had the stage set for gawain and what his lack of legacy means to him and to be in arthur's court and then you actually you get that the payoff of the early setup really quickly and then builds into setup for a whole other thing I, I think that's a really, really cool scene. Oh, definitely. I could also pick, you know, any other scene from this movie. <laughs> so, but that's the one I really want to talk about here and now in this moment. You could also pick um, the ladies' monologue. Yeah. Um, about 
I, you know, I guess the color green. The ladies' yeah, monologue about the movie, the color purple. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now, uh, let down scenes, and I, I kind of talked about this yeah, already. The, yeah, yeah, the shot of come, mm-hmm. and it, it's not even for me like that doesn't break the movie for me. It just, you know, it significantly changes, you know, the yeah, recommendability like of it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm, I'm with you there. All right. And let's rate it before we get out of here. Now I've stopped doing letterboxed ratings, but I will still give, I'll figure out a way. I'll, I'll, I will take this on. I will do the honorable <laughs> thing. This is my burden. Still come up with, <laughs> this is my burden. And I will come up with a numerical rating. Um, but you guys can go first. Um, for me, this movie on a scale of 10 is an 8. So it's a 4 out of 5 on Letterboxd. I, I'm pretty darn close. 10-point um, scale, I'm going 8.5. And, um, and I think the, the only reason I'm going a little low um, is because I, without knowing the lore... Um, beforehand, I think it does hinder this movie a little. Um, but eight and a half on a ten point, and round down to a four out of five on Letterboxd. Mm-hmm. And see, I that's also why I wanted to go last because you know, it's why I don't like doing the star ratings anymore. I couldn't tell you if this is a four and a half or a five star, if this is a nine or a ten, but I do know like. I think I'm the highest on this movie for sure, so I'm going to uh, set it at a nine. Uh, but I just I love this movie; it's so good. And I mean, the for it to get the lowest score from us as an eight, like that's solid. Yep, <clears throat> definitely recommended for sure. Oh, for sure. So with that, be on the lookout here soon. Uh, you might have something on your feed. Uh, that's going to go along with our October 31 Days of Horror Bingo. We're really excited to get that going. And then you might also have a malignant episode coming your way in the future. This has been another episode of Who the Hell is This For? Thank you all for listening. 